0: Todd, I might need your help. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the key idea of that psalm might be. (laughs) I heard it. Yeah, steadfast love endures forever. Well, that steadfast love endures forever, that steadfast love is chesed, which we've been talking about. In in our study of the book of Ruth, uh, we've been watching this personal tragedy, this widow named Naomi. And uh, this book is about that chesed, which so wonderfully illustrates That steadfast love that endures forever Uh, Let's go to that God And let's pray for his grace As we come to his word Father we thank you That you love us With your steadfast love Your chesed We thank you that you have poured out uh, This beautiful amazing love on us we thank you that you've given us your Word that we might know you. That you've given us Psalms like one thirty-six and bo- whole books like the Book of Ruth that we might understand your Chesed and what that fully entails, Father. I, I, as we sit here today, I'm mindful that that our minds are in different places, and it's so easy to get distracted by the things of this world and the things that are going on in our lives, the things that are even happening around us. And Father, it's my prayer that you would that you would draw our gaze to you. That you would help us to see your wonderful Word what it teaches us about your grace, what it teaches us about your love, your steadfast love. We pray that you would sharpen our minds during this time that we might understand. I pray that you would soften our hearts so that as your spirit deals with sin in our lives and areas that we can grow and um, mature in our, our knowledge of you and our knowledge of your grace, that we would have soft hearts, and that we would learn to live these things out in a way that would please you and honor you, and that would, in our own lives, reflect your steadfast love as we also share that that chesed with those around us. He just, we pray, help us to see you, help us to seek you. In your name we ask this, amen. So we've been looking at this story of a personal tragedy the life of Naomi, a widow. Uh, it was during the time of the judges when a famine attacked the land. And, and we're told that there's a man named Elimelech, which means my God is king. He, he moves his family to the, across the river to the fields of Moab where they found food and sustenance for their family. But very early in our story, we find out right away that, that Elimelech died His sons married Moabite women, and then also his sons died, leaving Naomi as a destitute widow with two young widows living in her home, and and no one is left to care for her. So two questions arise in the book of Ruth. Number one, will God provide for the nation of Israel as they suffer through this period of no bread? And number two, will God provide for this destitute widow who's living in a foreign land? And very early on in the book of Ruth, in fact, chapter, chapter 1, verse 6, we're told that God visited his people, and he gave them bread. Um, as we're going through the book of, of Ruth, uh, we're going to learn a little Hebrew, not so any of us can show anything off, but because Ruth is so much about this beautiful chesed that God tells us about, and so I'm going to teach you a couple words, and we're going to review those words as we're going through this series, but we're also going to learn to read Hebrew today as well. So you're going to leave here experts and scholars in, in biblical languages. How's that sound? So you got this phrase here. If you notice, it appeared from the right to the left. And so the first thing you need to know about Hebrew is that, you know, we're used to reading this way, right? You know, he gave to them bread. But in Hebrew, you're going to start over on this side. You're going to read this direction. So it's letet, lachem, lachem. I, I did a favor of putting the, ing- the translations in the right direction at least for you, but, but you're going to have to start over on this side. In fact, if you have your Hebrew Bible you're used to opening it from this side and, and you're used to seeing the title page here. If you get a Hebrew Bible, you're going to go to the back and that's why when you find Hebrew literature, the title's on the back side of the book. And so you're going to start from this end of the book and you're going to start going this direction. And so in Genesis you're looking for it and you're looking here and you go, why is Malachi here here at the because Genesis all the way on the other side at the beginning of the Hebrew Bible. So there, now you know how to read Hebrew, at least the direction to go, right? And, and we see, God gave to them bread. And in chapter 1, verse 6, we saw that this is kind of a tongue twister. It's, you know, Sally sells seashores by the, she sells by the seashore, something like that, right? Same thing's happening here, and and the intent is the the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the the divine author, the Holy Spirit, wants you to slow down. He's presented this problem that the people were without bread in a town called Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And in verse 6, God says, God visited them, and letit, lahem, lahem, God gave to them bread. He wants you to slow down so that you see the significance of what's happening here, the first problem has been resolved. In God's providence, he provided food for his people. But now there's another question that needs to be resolved, and the rest of the book of Hebrews, the the rest of the book of Ruth is going to deal with that for us. How will God, who rules over all and oversees all things, how is he going to provide for this poor widow whose life has been reduced from sweetness which is the meaning of her, her name Naomi to bitterness Mara she's lost everything we've seen in this life we find ourselves completely dependent upon the providence of God who reigns from heaven above and in his providence he cares for us but the book of Ruth teaches us that that one of the ways that he demonstrates his divine care is through the chesed of other people. It's a Hebrew word that's jam-packed with meaning. Um, we we try to translate it as love, and that just doesn't complete the word. Uh, it's hard to translate. In fact, the word is so hard to translate that we had to create a new English word to translate it. And so that's why when you're reading through Psalm 136, it doesn't just say the love of God endures forever. It, it says the, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever his loving kindness his loving faithfulness there's so much packed into this one little word his loving kindness and perhaps this is part of the reason why God has given us an entire book about chesed as we go through the book of Ruth it's really a word study a word picture of what chesed looks like I found a great uh, video this week. Uh, I don't know if you're all familiar with the Bible Project. It's a wonderful project that takes you through different books of the Bible, different theological concepts. And uh, they did a um, a word study on chesed. And so uh, we're going to take the next five minutes if somebody wants to grab the lights so we can see it a little bit better. um, And I'm just going to let the Bible Project share a little bit with, with you about God's chesed.
1: It's an expression of Ruth's character. She just is a generous and loving person who keeps her word. That's chesed. Now, Ruth's loyal love is truly inspiring. But the one who shows the most enduring chesed in the Bible is God. Like in the story about Jacob, who is a treacherous liar even to his own family. But despite that, God chooses him and repeats the promise he made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham that he would have a huge family through whom God would restore his blessing to the nations. And so 20 years later, when Jacob realizes how undeserving he is, he says to God, I'm not worthy of all the chesed you've shown me. And he's right. But God's chesed was never about Jacob's worth in the first place. It's a display of God's generous loyalty to his promise. God's chesed continues into the story of Jacob's descendants, the Israelites, When they're enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, we're told that God remembered his promise to Abraham and Jacob. So God defeats Egypt and raises up Moses to liberate the people and lead them into the Promised Land. And in the story, this is called an act of chesed because it was about God keeping his word. Now, on their way to the Promised Land, the Israelites are scared of the nations around them and they doubt that God can protect them. So the people threatened to kill Moses and appoint a new leader to take them back to Egypt. God is understandably hurt and angry, but Moses steps in and says, forgive the sin of these people because of your great chesed. Notice that Moses asks God to forgive not because the people deserve it, but because it's consistent with God's own character, and God agrees. And he recommits himself to a people that don't want to be committed to him. In the Bible, God is loyal and loving for no other reason than it's just who God is. Of course, he wants his people to respond with chesed in return, but even when they don't, God's chesed remains. The prophet Hosea compared Israel's chesed to a morning mist that's here one moment and gone the next. But God's chesed is enduring. Like in the celebration of Psalm 136, that opens by saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and then 26 times repeats, His chesed is forever. And so, After centuries of Israel betraying their commitment to God and after humanity's long history of violence and death, God still kept his promise in a dramatic and drastic way by becoming human and binding himself to us in the person of Jesus. And the people who followed Jesus of Nazareth said that in him they encountered the God of Israel who is full of loyal love and faith. Jesus is the ultimate loyal and loving human and in his life, death, and resurrection God opened up a new future for all of us and for all of creation. And God did this because it's just who God is, generous, loving, and eternally loyal to his promises. And when we experience the purity and power of God's loyal love shown through Jesus, It compels us to reimagine why and how we can show chesed back to God and to the people around us. This is what it means to say that God is overflowing,
0: there we go. Sorry about that. Got a couple of people flagging me down here. Thought maybe I would, you know, get out or something. There's a story behind that. I wasn't pointing the finger at you, Haley. I'm going to embarrass myself again, so I'm going to keep on going, okay? So um, I mentioned that this, that like agape in the New Testament, chesed in the Old Testament is a term worthy of each one of us learning it. And so uh, remember that that you've, you got to get that, that ch behind it, and, uh, and chesed is God's loyal love. Uh, today, we will discover that one of the chief ways that chesed is demonstrated is through the concept of favor, grace, often seen in the form of kindness. And so, the, the Hebrew word they're going to learn with this that's really important in chapter two is chen, okay? So, we have chesed and chen. Um, let's go through those. All right, start with chesed. Chesed, all right, and the next one, chen. All right, like a bird except, you know, with a camel behind it. Okay. Chen depicts a heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to someone who has a need. A- another way of defining the same word, chen, is that it's an action from a superior to an inferior. Who has no real claim for gracious treatment as we left Naomi she had heard that there was food in Israel and so she set out to Bethlehem with her two daughters-in-law on the road uh, we saw that Naomi showed Chesed to, to Ruth and Orpah by sending them home to their families so that they could start their own families their own new lives with their with other Moabite men she showed them loving-kindness because they had shown that same loving-kindness, that same chesed in caring for her when her husbands, their husbands had died. Uh, we saw that Orpah eventually returned, but even after Ruth had been officially relieved of her obligations, she made an oath. Ruth renounces every right that she has as a Moabitess. She promises that she is going to spend the rest of her life with Naomi and Naomi's people. At the end of chapter 1, We were still left with the question of how god would provide for this destitute widow and and the text closes the scene with the possibility that god might perhaps maybe there's this woman standing behind naomi that everybody's celebrating but here's this foreign woman and maybe god might use her to take care of naomi but how in chapter 2 uh, the narrator and the divine author, the Holy Spirit, introduces us to another character whom Naomi and Ruth have not yet met in this story. Uh, so you and I, when we read through the text, we're, we're privy to some information that they don't have, right? You, you read through it and you go, oh, cool, you know, I, I know this, but, but you got to remember Naomi doesn't know this and Ruth doesn't know this. And, and so we're told about a guy named Boaz and, and we're told that he's a relative of Elimelech. Verse 1 simply introduces him to us with this. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And at this point, we don't know how close of a relative Boaz is to the family. But what we do know is that they're related somehow. He he could be a distant cousin. he, He could simply just be a relative within the same clan. But what we're also told is that Boaz was a worthy man. Uh, the term means a, a mighty man. It's used in other places in the Scripture. If you read the book of Judges and you come across the character of Gideon, we heard wonderful stories of Gideon, if you remember him going up, and, and uh, he had some doubts about himself, but God uses him in amazing ways, and God calls Gideon a mighty man. He uses the same word of, of uh, Jephthah in the book of Judges. In, in the context of battles, uh, it, it would indicate a war. In the context of of a city like bethlehem it it likely indicates that boaz was a man of influence he was probably uh, a man of moderate wealth and of high social position in bethlehem and so he has a high reputation within the town and and so we're told uh, and so we're told about him but we're also told that uh, as we look at this that maybe could it, could it be that Boaz might be the solution to Naomi's problems? As we're reading through this story, we're wondering what's going to happen to Naomi. And Well, it could be Ruth. It could be Boaz. How is God going to help her in her distress? Let's watch how the story unfolds. In verse 2 it says, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find Chen. And she said to her, she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz comes from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, Yahweh be with you. And they answered, Yahweh bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. As we look at Ruth, and as we look at this whole book, it's important that you remember, God is in complete control. He's in complete control of all of eternity. And that's an important message throughout this book. But it's an important message that you need to remember in your life because the circumstances of your life, the troubles in your home, the hardships at work, the bills, the injuries, the sickness, every single detail falls within God's providence. Somehow we imagine in our lives, in our short-sightedness, once in a while we imagine that something has somehow slipped through God's grasp. Somehow the distress that I'm experiencing went unnoticed. But, but this is not how the Bible presents God's providence. He is in complete control. Oftentimes we pray for miracles. Uh, again, a miracle is God's superseding The natural laws of the universe in order to accomplish his purposes but providence similar to a miracle providence is God's directing of all things even the natural order of the universe and directing them in the way that he sees fit even in his providence his permission of your suffering but it all comes with a purpose you see, in the midst of the circumstances of life, like Naomi's and like Ruth's in this circumstance, circumstance, and, and sometimes in your life, always in your life, our God is orchestrating the details for his glory and for your good. It just may be that your greatest good is something greater than your comfort and your ease. And so don't forget That God's favor, his chen, his grace, remains at the heart of his providence. Ruth went to her mother-in-law. And we see that she demonstrated chesed, loving kindness, loyal love, by taking the initiative. And she volunteers to do the hard work of, of feeding them. She volunteers to glean in the fields. And within the law of Moses, there's a little context happening here. Within the law of the of Moses, the, the poor were allowed to go into the fields, anybody's field, and, and they, could, they could follow after the harvesters and pick up whatever was extra. Those harvesting the land were supposed to take up the grain, but whatever they dropped, whatever they gathered up and something fell to the side, they weren't supposed to pick it up and, and put it back in the bundle. They were supposed to leave it on the ground. They didn't have heavy machinery like you guys have doing your farms here. They, they'd take a sickle, and they'd come through, and they'd take what they could. They'd gather it up, and some of it would, wouldn't, uh, it would escape their grasp. And so when it fell to the ground, they were supposed to just leave it there. Those harvesting the land were supposed to take up the grain, but, but what was dropped was supposed to be left for the poor to pick up. But there's two things you need to know. First of all, gleaning is not harvesting. Uh, gleaning, it, it requires a lot of hard work with very little return. The owner of the field would, would have hired workers, he'd have hired hands, men and women. They would cut the stalks of barley, they'd gather them, they'd collect the grain. And, and then afterwards, again, the gleaners would follow behind and they would pick up anything that dropped by accident. And, and it involved bending over and picking up pieces all day long. One small piece after another. It's like going and you're in a field full of, of dollar bills. And somebody comes through and they pick up all the dollar bills. And, and there's just a bunch of pennies left over. And all day long you're looking out in this field looking for pennies that might be lying around. Pick them up one at a time. Be the equivalent of living off of recycled aluminum cans that one gathers from the sidewalks and trash cans. Gleaning Was hard work it offered very very little return but number two you need to understand that gleaning was allowed and it was protected by the law and and the workers were not allowed to glean the fields after they harvested The, the way that the poor could follow this way the poor could follow and they would have a chance at survival but but Ruth was living in a time when not everyone followed the law so therefore it was very important that Ruth would find a field in which someone would show her hen. They would show her grace. Now, the text that we just read emphasizes some interesting things, particularly in verse 3. And It starts by telling us that it happened, it happened that she came to a part of the field belonging to Boaz. A- and the text is very emphatic here. Um, you, you, can, you can put it in bold, underline it. Uh, literally it says she happened by chance <laughs> you know wink wink um, just by accident somehow Ruth ended up in Boad's fields the underlining t- thought here is God's providence was it by chance that she showed up there not at all the Holy Spirit is directing us and, and calling for us to recognize that God led her here Ruth has no idea Naomi has no idea. Boaz hasn't even met this foreign girl yet. But God was directing Ruth, and he brought her exactly where he wanted her to be because God's favor, his chen, remains at the heart of his providence. Do you believe that about him? Do you believe that God's in control? Do you believe that in the midst of all that he allows into your life, that his favor and his grace are still at the heart of it? We're tempted sometimes to forget that. And the troubles come. And sometimes we forget that God's in control. We forget that this is good and that he's showing his grace. But he assures us that it's there. And it's there for Ruth as well. And then in verse 4, behold! there's a there's a exclamation point here look wouldn't you know it imagine this boaz shows up uh, he, he has hired workers but he wouldn't have to come to the field but you know here he is and on the very day when ruth is there boaz shows up. look it's him and you, you look at what kind of master he is the first thing that we find boaz doing in our passage is blessing the blue collar workers it's 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 a standard greeting but, but the narrator is letting you know, as the reader, that, that what you need to know, he's letting you know what you need to know about this man. Here is a person who blesses the people that are around him, the blessing to the people around him. And then he notices Ruth. And, and I've heard this story of Ruth told many times, and in many of the versions I've read, Boaz is walking by, and whoa, woo, who is the beautiful chica out in the field? Ruth is this hot babe that turns every eye her way. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible tells us. You're reading through this. This is not what it says. And if you've heard that version, throw it out to the side. That is not what's happening in our text. It never says that. We're never told that Boaz turns and goes, wow. What's happening here and what the narrator draws your attention to is that Boaz knows his workers. He knows the people in his field, and he sees them. And then he sees this young woman sitting right there, and he doesn't recognize her. And verse 6 wants you to pay attention. The, the servant tells Boab, hey, this is the one. This is the Moabite girl. Everyone is hearing about the Moabites. Do you catch how the servant describes her? This is the Moabitess. What's that mean to Boaz? Moabite. No, The one, the Moabite girl, the one taking care of Naomi. Story is going around. Naomi's coming home. She's Moabite girl with her. The, uh, they're both widows. And, and, and look at how Mo- this, this young girl is taking care of Naomi. People are talking. Ruth is the talk of the town. And Boaz, Boaz has already heard of her. And now here she is sitting in his field. But he also draws Boaz, but the narrator and God himself draws Boaz's attention to her request. Uh, The servant draws, excuse me, the the servant draws Boaz's attention to her request to glean and gather among the sheaves. And and the the text emphasizes this question. And so much so that translators sometimes have a hard time with this verse. Um, Has she been, has she continued gleaning all morning except for a short rest? So she's been out in the field gleaning already. And just for a short brief time she sat down to catch her breath or is it insinuating that she she's been standing there all day waiting for her request to be answered except for just a short time when she went and sat down uh, when Boaz happened to come upon the field Um, furthermore though even though we're not quite sure you know has she been working already or she waiting for an answer her request that she makes is out of the ordinary the the law provided for her to glean in the field in the areas that had already been harvested she makes an extreme request to glean among the sheaves this would entail her gathering more than the share a gleaner would normally pick up and i want you to notice this because likely ruth is asking for something that that she's just asking out of ignorance of the custom she, she's come from Moab she's not familiar with the law of Moses she's not familiar with the laws of the land and so she's asking for something thinking you know can I glean and, and she asks if, if she can do it in such in such a way and, and what she doesn't realize is she's being incredibly offensive perhaps she was being bold in or, in order to provide for Naomi but it seems that Ruth probably just didn't fully understand how gleaning works and so the servant makes sure to ask Boaz about this unusual request that was made. Uh, several years ago when I was in the seventh grade, I think, um, I, I received a request from one of my teachers. My teacher had something that was broken in the classroom, and, and Mrs. Johnson said, would somebody be willing to go to the shop class and get a screwdriver? I said, sure, why not? You know, here's an opportunity to get out of class, right? And so I walked all the way across the middle school campus, and I, and I got to to the shop class, and I said, Mrs. Johnson needs a screwdriver because she borrowed one to fix blah blah blah. And he said, Sure. What do you need? A, a flathead or a, a Phillips? Now I didn't know as a seventh grader, I didn't know the difference between a hammer and a wrench. All right. I hadn't grown up fixing things. And so flathead Phillips meant absolutely nothing to me. I knew what a screwdriver was, it was just a thing with a plastic handle and a big long metal stick. What's the Phillips? You know, is that, you know, is that the guy, is that the brand? Did somebody, did Philip make a screwdriver? I don't know. And so I get sent all the way across campus back to my classroom. Mrs. Johnson, he needs to know what kind of screwdriver you need. Well, what do you mean what kind of screwdriver? I don't remember what they're called. We'll go back and ask him. So I walked all the way back to the shop class, and I said, I, what, what was, whose screwdriver was it? It was a Phillips screwdriver or a flathead. And by this point, he's laughing at me. I said, okay. So I walked all the way back to Mrs. Johnson. Do you need a Phillips head or a screwdriver? Well, Phillips, obviously. Okay. So walked all the way back. Okay, Phillips. And so he walks all the way back with me, and he hand delivers the Phillips, meaning making my whole trajectory pointless. But in the midst of this, everybody's laughing. Yeah, I, I, I was embarrassed. Ignorance can cause embarrassment sometimes, can it? You don't understand something, and everybody around you does? You feel horrible. But it can also cause great resentment and in this particular instance this owner of this field it could cause him to resent her it could cause resentment from the other workers could change the question that we see here who is this girl what does she think that she's trying to pull over on us what a stupid woman she doesn't even understand where she's supposed to be did you hear the remarks Imagine that sort of thing in our culture. You see it from time to time, right? Someone comes from Mexico, the Philippines. They move to Eastern Iowa. They they violate our codes of conduct. They need to learn, and they're trying to learn. But the but the moment they cross that line, there are many who start looking down on them, and that's when the comments start flying. These illegals can't even learn English. You've heard it, right? It's around us. And, and, and when someone comes from another culture and they come into own, your own where you just don't understand the rules. Gossip starts flying, slander, mistreatment. And, and Ruth is right in the midst of this. This is not a new problem. It's been happening for centuries, for millennia, since the dawn of human mankind, since the Tower of Babel when cultures start spreading all over. We look down on those who don't understand our customs and, and in this situation, That's what's happening here with Ruth, or the potential is there. So how is Boaz going to respond to this woman who makes this incredible request? And so we've seen that God's favor remains at the heart of providence, but also notice that God's favor oftentimes comes through the favor, the chen, of others. Listen to what Boaz says. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged that the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Yes, Boaz's response is incredible. It's unexpected. Not only does he command her to stay in his field this field but he even tells her to stay close to his servant women these aren't the other gleaners he's saying stay close to them he's saying stay 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 close to the women who work for me he's protecting her he protects her from the ill intentions of others particularly the male laborers who oftentimes could be crass yes even in israel they could be abusive they could be crass especially in a time like the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. He even gives her use of the water that has been prepared for his own workers that are in his employment. Imagine being at your business, and uh, I'm just grabbing my coffee. I'm not illustrating anything. Imagine being at your business and somebody walks in and asks if they can go through your trash cans. And in your graciousness, you, you show them grace, chen, but then, hey, you know, water fountains over here. If you need anything, you know, hey, I got a buck. You want something from the soda machine? Okay, that, that's the kind of thing that's happening here. Somebody comes in off the street, and they're just asking to go through your trash. A- and Boaz says to Ruth, hey, you stay close to me. You take our water that's been drawn from the well. You, 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 I want you protect it. Boaz extends every grace to Ruth, and, and, and she realizes it. Look at Verse 10 then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found Hen in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since, since I'm a foreigner? And his response is that, that he has received a full report. Everything has been told to him already. He was told of how she cared for Naomi after Elimelech died. He knows how she left her family her homeland and then she came to a place that she'd never been to before in other words ruth has become the talk of bethlehem that's what boaz is saying "I've, i've heard i've been told and i've not just been told but her actions have been roundly proclaimed that everyone knows of the chesed that ruth has shown to naomi boaz recognizes that ruth's chesed But he equates her loving kindness that she's shown to Naomi with the faithfulness of Yahweh. You notice that in the text? He equates her loving kindness with God's loving kindness. God has shown faithfulness to Naomi through Ruth. And Boaz calls it out. He recognizes that she's taken shelter with, with God, the God of Israel. Like a helpless little bird, she's found refuge under his wings. And significantly, this is the second prayer request that we find in our story. And the first request was in chapter one when Naomi prayed for blessing from Yahweh on her Uh, daughter's-in-law. And this is the second time we come to it. He prays that she will be rewarded for her great kindness. But the irony here, as we've seen with every single prayer request that's made in this book, the irony is going to be found in the next couple chapters as we see that those Prayers are answered through the very people that make the requests. Naomi prayed for God's chesed and blessing on the girls, on Ruth. But God is going to use Naomi to bring that loving kindness and grace to Ruth. Boaz prays for this, this, uh, for this chesed uh, and we're going to find that he's going to be one of the ones that, that this comes from. So Ruth's conclusion in verse 13 she said, I have found chen in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She, she recognizes that she doesn't belong. But God's favor has come through the favor of Boaz. And she expresses her thanks. She's grateful for Boaz's exceedingly kind actions to her, even though she's not one of the servants. And what follows, though, is even more extraordinary. First, he shares the afternoon meal with her. Look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat before the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. You guys, she's poor. She has no rights. She's broken. And yet Boaz welcomes her to their meal. Probably uh, they're under some shelter, they're under a hut, um, where they could retreat from the sun. <coughs> Excuse me. Boaz has elevated her from a poor gleaner to become one of the crew. He's put her in with the rest of the staff, and now she's part of the circle. Being being a poor being poor and being a widow, Ruth Ruth probably had rarely experienced, if ever, a full stomach since she arrived in Bethlehem. This is probably the first time that she's had a full meal in this entire time. Probably since her husband had died. Hunger was a part of her and Naomi's existence in those days and those months following the death of their husbands. And essentially, essentially, Boaz has shared his and he shared his workers' lunch with Ruth, and he gave her so much that we're told she was full. She was satisfied. Not only was she satisfied. Okay, this isn't saying that you know she she got enough to put her to get her through the rest of the day. She was she had enough that she was full, and and she had leftovers. But secondly, he gives instructions to the workers after she went back to work, and, and he takes the extra initiative to protect her and give her access to what was not customarily something that was allowed to do. But thirdly. Notice he gives her special instruction. He gives special instructions for the workers to pull out barley from what they had gathered. Do you, do you, do you see the difference between gathering and, and gleaning? And uh, this was at personal cost to Boaz? And so, oops, missed that one. Oops, didn't see that one over there. Boaz is, is providing for this young widow and he's providing for Naomi. And so Ruth is continuing to work through the end of the evening, and when she's finished, whoa, she beats out the grain that she had gleaned, and it came to an effa of barley. A whole effa. That means everything to you, right? Okay, when you go to the grocery store, and you buy flour for your family, then consider that this is the main thing you're going to be eating. There's no, there's no fruit and, and uh, stovetop and other, you know, no turkey that you're going to buy from the freezer. You're buying flour. That's what you're going to make for the week, and that's what you're going to eat for the week. What size package do you buy? Anybody? Help me out. I have no idea. What, five pounds? Five-pound bag. Anybody else? Uh, somebody, somebody would buy a 10-pound bag? Okay, I'm, I'm clueless, really. Yeah, okay, so five pounds, 10 pounds. They, they normally come in the one-pound bag, right? No? Are those five-pound bags the small ones? Okay, those are five. I feel like I'm auctioning here, you know. (laughs) Thirty pounds, and and Epha, that that's over over thirty pounds of barley. How long do you think thirty pounds of barley could last for two widows? Then take into account that Ruth, Ruth went back through the entire harvest. This is the first day. It, It it. if, if they could sell their grain, trade some of the grain, do, do you see what's happening? Here are two widows who are helpless. They're just hoping to get enough to, to get by and eat the next meal. But now they have enough that they can trade, get some money, purchase this. Do, do you see how Boaz is taking care of this? these two young women, these two women? God's favor is demonstrated through the favor of and 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 we are starting to see that god is using both ruth and boaz to provide for naomi and he's starting to answer the question we've been looking for since the beginning of of the book they're providing for naomi and god is taking care of them this destitute widow who has lost everything but finally i want you to notice that god's hen benefits those around us look at verse 18 So Ruth returned home with her 30 pounds of grain. But, but notice what else she took home. Did you see it? Did you catch it? She, she also pulled out the leftover meal and she shared it with Naomi. Now, what could she have done? I mean, think about it. She worked a full day, it was hot out there working hard, picking up pieces of grain all day long, and then beating it out until the sun's about ready to go down and and, and getting the grain from all of it. And it would have been really easy to say, whew, what a hard day. I, I worked, I gleaned, until I couldn't hold any more and I carried home 30 pounds of grain. I deserve a rest. I'm going to enjoy my leftovers before I get back and I have to share it with somebody else. It would have been so easy. But she didn't. When we encounter God's grace, my friends, when we encounter God's grace, those around us should also receive the blessing that we receive. We pass on the blessings that God has given to us. And and notice verse 20, and we'll finish with this. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi recognizes where the chesed has come from. It came through Ruth, and it came through Boaz, but the loyal love was from their God, Yahweh, who does not forsake the living or the dead. Additionally, Boaz turns out not to be just some distant relative, but one of their nearest relatives, She says, Boaz is our Goel. He's he's a kinsman redeemer. That's what the term Goel means. Goel was a member of the family who was called to look after the family. It it was an official title for the person that was supposed to be looking out for all the relatives. Uh, The Goel uh, was the person who would care for the destitute and the poor in the family. And the Goel was also the person who would avenge the death when a murder happened. Under law capital punishment was carried out by the close relative it it was a system of justice that god had incorporated into the laws of israel to prevent that sort of thing this man was by law the family protector and so naomi encourages ruth to stay close not only did she work the fields of boaz through the barley harvest we're told but we're also told that she stayed on through the wheat harvest it's just kind of a throwaway phrase, but the timing here tells us a lot about what's happening in the story. She doesn't just stay through the barley harvest, but she's there for two full months gleaning in the fields of Boaz. God has intended, he had, he had got it indeed provided for this widow, and his grace, his hen, is found, grace is found in the heart of God's providence. But my friends, it oftentimes comes through the favor of others. And because God pours his grace on us, those around us benefit from God's chen. Chesed. Loving kindness. It oftentimes involves hard work. Love, generosity, faithfulness, the chesed. It involves sharing. It involves passing on the blessing that we've received from others. And and here's how I'd like to challenge you to apply this today. You to choose uh, one specific act of chesed that you will do for each member of your family this week. Just pick one thing, one way that you can show the loving kindness that God has shown to you to the people in your family. Write it down, write their names down, and then carry it out. I also want you to choose one family at Dwitty Free. Or for your guest, somebody from your church, somebody from your community. Choose one family that you don't know well, somebody that's outside of your normal peer group. It, it's really natural for us to engage with those that we know and th- those that we're fr- friends with, right? Sometimes you see the same people every week, you, every day. It's easy to love those who love us back. But but then there's that family that you just haven't spent time with. Maybe it's somebody that's awkward to talk to. Some, some, of us, some of us are quiet. Some of us uh, have different personalities than you do. Some of us are older or younger in a different season of life than you are. Some of us are just outside your normal circle of friends. It's time to move beyond that. So choose one family and one way that you're going to show chesed to them. Ruth didn't hold on to any of the blessings that God had given to her, but she continued to pour out that loyal love and that favor that she had received from God that he had poured out into her life. And so might we do that this week as well? It needs to be personal. It needs to be purposeful. And sometimes it includes sacrifice. But that is no less what our Savior did for us. And so, how is it displayed in your life today? Father God, we thank you for your loyal love that you have demonstrated throughout the history of mankind. And we have continually broken faith with you, we've continued to rebel, continued to rebel against you and to go to war with you. And yet, you have shown your grace. Your loving kindness over and over and over again especially through your son jesus christ who used to redeem us and he came and he showed us the chesed of god he poured out hen into our lives and into this world a world that didn't deserve it so father i pray that we would understand that more fully And that other people would understand it more fully, your grace, your loving kindness, that other people would learn to understand it more fully through us as it is reflected in our lives and as we share out of the abundance of what you've given to us. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Please teach us to walk in your ways today.